This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. You're dirty, you're dirty dog. You need a bath, you big stanky dog. <laughs> this is the worst. Bark at me. Bark, yeah, bark. at me. Bark, doggy, bark. Welcome right. well, to the last podcast on the left, everyone. <laughs> I am Ben, hanging out with Marcus and Henry. I have no idea why they chose to start the show like that, but but great, great. Ruff, ruff, ruff. <laughs> we are so happy for this episode. Uh, we are excited. This episode is a conversation with Harold Schechter and Eric Powell. It's all about their new book, Did You Hear What Eddie Gein Done? It's a graphic novel. It's freaking kick-ass. And this conversation, I think you're, I think you're all going to really enjoy it. What I think is key about what we talked about and this new graphic novel is that Harold Schechter has brought a new layer of research mm-hmm. to the Eddie Gein story. And his take is fascinating what, what he talks about the stuff that he has come out of it and then it, it, the stuff that he's come out with is really interesting and, and i really feel like we did a good job in the interview kind of really talking about more general questions about ed gein and there's there's new shit out there about yeah that. i will endorse this book wholeheartedly Woo! it is fantastic not only is eric powell's art uh just on point but harold Schechter uh introduces some new ideas about ed gein uh that have never been heard i mean it's a it's a case that is decades upon decades old that we've been talking mm-hmm. about for decades that uh he has a new perspective on it and that's uh, incredibly hard to do and the way that eric powell has illustrated those new ideas uh is phenomenal i cannot buy this book buy this fucking book and we're not even getting paid this is no money no. To no. us, we have no skin in this game. This is literally just, it's nice to see two people who know what the fuck they're doing make something that's highly interesting. Yeah, I just want you, the listener, to read something cool. Go check it out. And don't worry, I did directly confront Mr. Powell about his use of the word goon. <laughs> because, wow, wow. All right, everyone. Well, please enjoy this interview again. This is Harold Schechter and Eric Powell discussing their new book, Did You Hear? What Eddie Gein done. Thank you guys so much for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. You guys got together, this is a collab, to work on a new graphic novel entitled Did You Hear What Eddie Gein Done, which is such a freaking kick-ass title. So what brought you guys together? 
Well, Eric brought us together. <laughs> so Eric reached out to me through my agent. Uh, you know, I'm a lifelong fan of comic books. I, I had assembled. And of course, very... Eric Powell, the great mind behind the goon, a uh, very yeah. famous comic. <laughs> yeah, which is sweet. Although I do take a little offense to the name, but that's OK. <laughs> that's because that's it, technically that is it's been a slur for Kissel's people for a long time. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> Well, you know, Eric, uh, who is very modest, I think overly modest, always demurs when I say that he's a genius. But, yeah. uh, you know, he's one of the great uh, comic book artists of our generation. Hell so yeah. 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 I've been reading The Goon since issue one came out when I was in college on the Dark Horse run. I'm a gigantic fan of The Goon. This is so cool. Yeah. Like, and the fact that you two are working together is a, it's a match made in it's heaven. Like, it's like, <laughs> That's the way I feel. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm just reading this article in The Hollywood Reporter where, Eric, you're quoted as talking about uh, Mr. Schechter as one of your heroes as well. You talk about when writing this book, uh, when you were approached to write this book about Ed Gein, you say, and when my favorite true crime author and Gein expert, Harold Schechter, enthusiastically agreed to work with me on a project, it was a dream or nightmare come true. The best part is we have a really unique take with in-depth information. So when it comes to you guys adding both of your information streams, how did that how did that um, affect the story of Ed Gein and your guys' uh, professional opinions? I kind of came to it. Uh, I had the idea that I wanted to do something dealing with Gein's isolation and how that, you know, no one really knows what went on in that house other than Ed Gein. Uh, but being a huge fan of Harold, uh, I didn't think I could do anything better than what he had already done in Deviant. So, yes. uh, you know, I, I contacted him, you know, in, in the hopes that uh, he would, you know, maybe want to collaborate because I thought in the time since he had written it, he had probably, you know, more information had probably come to him. Uh, and uh, I just thought the idea would be, you know, uh, a lot of fun to work with. I had no no hopes of him actually re responding to, to reaching out. <laughs> That's nice though. Right. But uh, like he said, he's a huge comic book fan. So he was, he was well aware of, of my work and, and uh, we just kind of went from there. And he, uh, it, he was actually uh, terrible to work with. I mean, just ego, gone <laughs> yeah. wild. Diva. That's yeah. the first thing. I look at him as a diva. You guys can't see at home, but Harold on the Zoom is currently wearing what I can only assume is a pure gold LeMay mm -hmm. skin-tight bodysuit. <laughs> yeah. And it's like in a captain's hat, uh, and I can visibly see his nipples. Woo! So this is it's incredible. Honestly, it's nice to see, Harold. I never, I've never seen your body like this. <laughs> well, thank you. That's I very much appreciate that. Well, speaking of, you know, to how much, you know, uh, Harold loves comics and obviously how much you love comics and and talking about like Ed Gein's isolation. One of my favorite sequences in the book is uh, Ed Gein imagining himself as a pulp hero, like an old timey pulp hero. Like whose whose idea was that to, to kind of go into Ed Gein's twisted imagination? Uh, well, that particular sequence, pure Eric. Um, I think that was I think that was a little bit of both of us. Oh, OK. Yeah. I can't I can't yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the collaboration was interesting. I mean, you know, I wrote out my part of the story as a kind of movie script. Uh, then I sent it to Eric. We went back and forth. You know, originally we had slightly different ideas of what kind of story we wanted to tell. Uh, but, you know, throughout the collaboration, we would consult and. 
you know, arrive at uh, a common sense of exactly what we wanted to do. So, but, you know, I mean, Eric does such an amazing job of visualizing the ideas we came up with. So. When you going back into the world of Ed Gein, uh, this is for Harold, like now that you, you spend years working on Deviant mm-hmm. and now it's like, did you like put Ed Gein away mm-hmm. and then like kind of come back? And what was it like going back into his world you know, well, I haven't totally put him away, um, you know, over the years, uh, you know, because of my having written Deviant, people have asked me about it and spoken. You know, I've actually given uh, a lot of thought to a why Keen exerts such fascination, you know, but also the nature of, uh, uh, you know, of his, of his madness. You know, I became increasingly dissatisfied with a kind of simplistic Oedipal explanation, yeah, uh, you know yeah. that that had you know always been offered at the time. You know when when Gein was uh, you know when his crimes were discovered, that was the heyday of all this Freudian analysis. So naturally, uh, you know, it ended up being all about his mother, who you know did play a big part in it. Um, I mean, he but, wore her like a dress, so she's got to oh, be yes. in there somewhere. Yes, yeah, he did wear yeah. her specifically. No. <laughs> But he tried, you know, he did try to dig her up. So, yes, yeah. guy definitely, <laughs> he definitely had mommy issues. No question about that. You know, but but I, I come to think with Gein and, and some other notorious uh, serial killers, I, I don't regard Gein as a serial killer, but somebody like Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, there was a weird religious ritual aspect to what he was doing. And, and I'd come to believe uh, that something in his psychosis almost caused a rupture in his psyche that caused all this kind of archaic religious stuff to emerge. And, you know, what he was really doing uh, in his remote, isolated ramshackle farmhouse was kind of performing these archaic rituals hmm. having to do with flaying victims. And, you know, if you look at a lot of stuff he was doing, it's the kind of thing that you know, a lot of uh, uh, Aboriginal tribes people do, you know, in terms of keeping trophies, you know, shrunken heads and so on and so forth. Uh, Anyway, over the years, uh, I I, I didn't really think about that when I was writing Deviant, uh, but I have been thinking more and more about it. And so, you know, we're able to work that into the graphic novel. Again, Eric did this amazing job of bringing it to visual life. Uh, you know, it's one of the things actually I'm happiest about, uh, about the novel. It's the, st- I mean, it, it is the, it's the standout portion of the graphic novels. This, uh, this idea of Gein tapping into some sort of like collective, un- tapping into the collective unconsciousness and, yeah. and bringing in all, are you, Harold, are you, a, a, have, have you been a big believer in the collective unconsciousness? Uh, absolutely. Uh, not everybody knows this about me, but my scholarly background you know, I did my PhD, uh, a, a Jungian analysis of uh, of American literature. Oh, I mean, wow. when I was doing my, I, I was very involved in the Jungian world for a while. Uh, I corresponded with Joseph Campbell, for example. Um, you know, I took part in some major Jungian uh, conferences. Uh, you know, I wrote a couple of books employing Jungian psychology, often to works of popular art. So, yeah, that's always been part of my intellectual background. 
Yeah. I want to talk with Eric here for a second, going back to what Marcus was talking about regarding the scene with Ed Gein fantasizing about himself as a pop, as a pop icon. Did he have any ability to, to have anything like foresight? Did he, do you think he saw himself as anything other than what he was? Was he, or was he that complex to understand what he was doing was going to be remembered? Well, through the, the reference material that Harold dug up, um, the, you know, he, he did have uh, the, the psychologist. I don't have an exact uh, reference, but the psychologist did say he had a, a skewed uh, kind of elevated uh, sense of himself. So <laughs> I think there had to have been something in there that, uh, you know, he, he fantasized himself being a little bit more substantial than he was. You know, mm-hmm. he was. Uh, well, when you uh, think about Ed Gein, you almost think of Lee Von Helm. He's the old dirt farmer of, yeah. of, of serial killers. <laughs> he, right? is, or, he, always, he seems like always. a very humble Wisconsin <laughs> guy. Right. So that aspect of him being self-aware, digging up a grave, being like, they're going to remember this. Like that <laughs> adds another layer of true uh, deviancy to uh, steal Mr. Schechter's term. Because it does feel like he felt like the simpleton, right? I like this idea of that he was a lot more complex than yeah. he was just this guy like, I just like to make crafts. Like, no, he <laughs> had like a whole series of layers. Yeah. I think there was some vengeance that definitely went into his acts, uh, you know, when it comes to some of the, the graves that he chose to rob. But um, I'm not sure that he thought about anyone finding out about it. Uh, I don't what do you think mean there he, was vengeance in the in the grave robbing? So he he would specifically grave rob out of spite. Yeah, he mentions uh, a uh, a time when someone had took some money from him or something, or someone yeah. had slighted him. So he dug up that person's mother. Oh, uh, so I I took that yeah. as an act of some kind of act of vengeance. So yeah. but so. And it's almost like an act of vengeance towards his own mother as well, because his mother had been buried with she had specifically requested there be a gigantic concrete block placed over her grave so he could never dig her up. He he never (laughs) could like he not specifically so he could, but he never had the ability to dig her up. And he always dug up women that looked uh, quite or it, it was always very much like his mother, like, you know, the two women that he killed were very much like his mother, at least physically. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think uh, the psychological line on Dean was that his crimes express this ambivalence he had about his mother. You know, he worshipped her, but on another level, he obviously hated her and had all this homicidal fury. So he was both trying to reconstitute her, but at the same time, obviously performing these atrocities uh, on her body. By the way, yeah. I would say to me, Gein reminds me, or what I think about in terms of Gein, is not so much Levon Helms, Dirt Farmer. <laughs> uh, I'm just writing about this, somebody. He, it's like, I always think of him as like, the citizens of Mayberry have just discovered that Barney Fife was a cross-dressing homicidal <laughs> <laughs> He probably was. Yeah. Oh, man. Live from your grave. Texas Pete is a sauce and allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around, it's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try 
every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor! By Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce and a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some cha Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of cha and it started off my day. Correct. Texas Pete. Sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough. But Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. We just did a uh, documentary. Kissel and I were doing like talking head stuff for a Jeffrey Dahmer documentary. And it was really interesting going back through our material to like go talk to not sound like total fucking morons on the documentary. I was like going back through and I kind of refound myself like 
sympathizing with Jeffrey Dahmer. Like I ended up like watch going through his stuff and kind of seeing how like, like obviously he's a monster, but then I started to see his like humankind. Did something like that happen when you go back to like really spelling out and drawing Ed Gein's life? Like, is there a sympathy there or like, do you see the humanity more or does he become more of a fucking alien? and to piggyback on Henry's point, I'm just looking at the the title here. Will you call him Eddie Gein? And of course, Eddie is a it's a sensitive, it's a kind of a term of endearment uh, in a way. To me, it also uh, was a nod to his childlike nature. You know, yeah. he he was he was really kind of stunted uh, as a person. So that's that's why I like using the term Eddie. But um, I think I, I couldn't have done the book if I couldn't have uh, a, a certain amount of uh, compassion, you know, for him and, and what he went through. And, you know, he was definitely, a a, a diseased mind for sure. But, um, I, I, you can have some sympathy for him to, for the way he was, uh, raised and, uh, the isolation he lived in and that, you know, contributed to him committing these crimes. But, um, I think through the research, I actually started to have a little bit less sympathy as I went along because mm-hmm. of the, the uh, just uh, his uh, attempts to lie in a very childlike way to yeah. to push the blame to someone else. So uh, he never accepted uh, his own, uh, you know, uh, fault in any of these incidents. So. Yeah. And also, like, a, when you go back and research some of those, especially like the earlier books written about Ed Gein uh, before Deviant, um, some of the ones that that I found are not sympathetic in any way whatsoever. They're very harsh. Uh, and a lot of them and some of them are very trashy. will and will like to speculate of like, actually, he probably killed more like 10 or 15 people, mm. you know, that go yeah. go way in the other direction. Well, I mean, I find it easy to feel a certain amount of sympathy for Dean. Um, Is it because of your collection of human artifacts and the the dress you wear of of made of female breasts? I've seen it. Honestly, it's very ornate. It's really nice. It's really nice. Just lucky I'm wearing my gold lame. uh, So, um, no, but, you know, the thing, you know, people are always asking me, uh, in fact, very recently with the book about becoming out, you know, how does Ed Gein compare to other serial killers? And my answer is, you know, that Gein was not a serial killer in the strict sense of the term. Uh, You know, deviant, that phrase never appears. Uh, You know, the term serial killer, when it first entered the language, was used to describe these sadistic lust murderers, you know, Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy and so on and so forth, Edmund Kemper. You know, Gein wasn't a sadistic sex killer. Uh, he, he, you know, he, he murdered these two women. We're not condoning that, you know, but they were executed, you know, very, very swiftly. He basically just needed them as raw material for his, you know, do-it-yourself projects at home. So, you know, he was essentially a necrophile in the grip of these very dark compulsions. Uh, you know, the fact, I mean, you, you know, it's impossible to feel sympathy for Albert Fish. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, that's the <laughs> one you can't. That's the one that he's, yeah. he's, he's beyond the pale of all of them. Yeah. yeah, but you can't feel sympathy for Bundy or Gacy either. 
Um, you know, but, you know, Guillen is in a, well, you know, he's sui generis. He's in a category all by himself. Uh, so what is it that Guillen reflects about society that make him sympathetic? What does he reflect about? Yeah. Why, why is he sympathetic? I mean, he killed two people. He's a grave robber. He wore his mother's vagina. Why is he still somehow? (laughs) He never wore his mother's vagina. He didn't have anything to do with his mother's vagina. He wore his mother's vagina. I'm just going to say, you you can't prove me wrong, even if you can. Um, But, you know, all of that macabre, disgusting stuff aside, you're right. There is something sympathetic about him, but what is it? I'm partly what I'm saying is relative. You yes, know, of course. The, it's like how Casey show. Anthony is a 10 if you take into account all women who killed their, their children. On that <laughs> level, a Casey Anthony is a 10. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, he was this pathetic figure. Um, and, uh, you know, again, in the grip of this very, very bizarre ritualistic compulsion, most of his victims were corpses uh, that did not suffer at his hands. Uh, so, and, you know, and, and you can feel sympathy with him just for the incredible, look, this is a guy who like the best thing that ever happened to him was when he was put in a mental institution. That look on his face, that one picture of him, like in the mental institution where he, he might as well be a Disneyland. Like he yeah. is so happy <laughs> to finally yeah. have a bed. Yes, exactly. So anyway, yeah. So that's well, my you know, feel. Eric, maybe you maybe you can talk about that when it comes to animating uh, someone like Ed Gein. What kind of properties or character traits do you look to accentuate when you're, uh, you know, doing something that I can't? You know, we now that we've dabbled in the comic book world, I can't believe what people can do um, <laughs> because I can't draw a stick figure. But what do you look for? Uh, I think I definitely tried to. Uh, there were little things I tried to do to to make it uh, sell an atmosphere or, or a feeling uh, about the character. And definitely when in relation to his mother, I always had uh, her kind of looming over him or, yeah. you know, taller than him. And every scene I try to never mm. make uh, them the same height or, you know, and, and I, I went to extremes on that, uh, especially during the segment with his childhood where I had him, you know, inches high and she's just looming over him. Yeah. I mean, the, um, the, the scene with like the way you put the, the, the famous scenes, the famous Ed Gein scenes, like the one that I think about most that was just so perfectly done that really put the Augusta as such a towering figure is when Ed sees them uh, slaughtering the hog, you know, mm-hmm. which is when, as he's a child, like a back in the, in the back shed, like her towering over is like a, almost like a more than a monster, but a God, right. you know, like wow. you're setting that up. It, it's, it's it's wonderful. It's That's beautiful. so brilliant. Yeah. That's all from Harold. Like he, he was speaking earlier about, you know, his the collective uh, consciousness and everything. And uh, uh, one of the great things in collaborating with this book is I had a simple idea that I, I thought would be great. And then, you know, when we were first collaborating uh, and trying to figure out the direction we wanted the book to go, he's he's telling me these these ideas that he had has an I I, don't, I wasn't sure that I was grasping where he was wanting to take it. So uh, it took a little while for me to get on board. Then as it started to sink in where he was going, I got really excited about it. And, yeah, what uh, were some of the ideas initially where he brought it up to you and you were like, Mr. Schechter, you are insane. Like, what's, what wrong, were, was there an, what's wrong with you? Am I safe? Where's the door? How do I get out of this room? What was an idea where you're like, I don't, bro, I have no idea. Uh, well, just the the godlike comparisons uh, uh, of of the mother and uh, how he worshipped her as a god, 
um, it wasn't quite clicking with me until we, we discussed it a little bit more. And, uh, and now it's like you said, it's, it's the best part of the book. Um, so that was definitely the biggest, uh, uh, example of, of, uh, trying to, you know, the, illustrate the his, his fear and love of exactly. mommy. That's really <laughs> awesome, man. That's brilliant. Uh, Harold, I have a, I have to ask a question. You, um, yeah. I'm not going to call you a no fun fanny. Here, Whoa! Right? I'm not going to call you this. <laughs> oh, here. He's a guest at our house, Henry. Guy. This is He's a shot guy. radio. He tried to take H.H. Holmes from us. Right. What? He's oh been Harold Schechter has some revisionist ideas that H.H. H. Holmes, which I honestly I'm with you, that he didn't kill as many people inside of his murder hotel well, as right. Like you think that yeah. it was like that's exaggerated. Yes, right. I do. Yes. I do. Yes. Now, when it comes to Ed Gein, this is in your research now, like re getting in. Do you think yeah. Ed Gein had anything to do with killing his brother or like being there? Like, do you think that, that was that just negligence or was that like a plan? Um, that's a tough one, but, uh, if I were really pushed to give an answer, which I obviously am at this moment, um, I think he probably did not kill his brother. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't think he killed any of the other people that he was accused of killing. Uh, you know, again, he wasn't, uh, you know, he killed Bernie Swarden. He killed Mary Hogan. Again, he was running out of corpses in the local cemetery. He needed to renew his supply of uh, overweight, middle-aged women, uh, so he can again go about doing his, uh, you know, his home improvement jobs. Um, right. <laughs> and uh, you know, so again, he went and executed them and so on. But no, I don't think he killed us. Uh, you know, it just doesn't seem like his mo that he would kill Henry. Do you think it's possible that he watched him die? That he could have saved him and just simply yeah. didn't? Well, anything's possible. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, you for giving us do, this, Harold. Do you think yeah. it's bad? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I mean. Breaking <laughs> news, think, Harold Schechter says anything is well, possible. Well, you know, I mean, if you wanted to kill, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he could have killed Henry in any number of ways. You know, yeah. the fact that Henry died under those particular circumstances, which were circumstances, you know, in which other people had died in similar ways, uh, you know, leads me to believe that Gein probably did not kill him. But at the same time, you know, it's entirely possible that he did not exactly regret that Henry had died uh, because, again, then he had Augusta all to himself. So. Oh, my. And who doesn't want Augusta? All to themselves. <laughs> well, so, I mean, do you, so I guess the, the whole thing with Henry, I mean, that's is was that just sort of the small town rumor mill? Because that, that's one of the yes. things that I love about the book is that it, it really does capture the small town rumor mill that created the Ed Gein legend as yeah. we know it. Well, I mean, what I've discovered in, in researching a number of books, uh, including one that I published recently, uh, you know. Plug it. Rich. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Wonderful book called Maniac oh. uh, about the Bath school disaster of 1927, the worst school oh. massacre in U.S. history. But, you know, after the guy uh, whose name was Andrew Kehoe blew up the school, there were all these stories arose that he'd been responsible for killing his stepmother. His stepmother had died years before when a gas oven exploded. You know, after 
Kehoe committed this atrocity, you know, everybody started talking about how he had killed his, his stepmother. I mean, that happens a lot, you know, where, you know, again, retrospectively, uh, these killers are accused of all these crimes that they didn't commit. So, you know, that's my that's my best guess about uh, about Henry. Yeah, it turns from he probably did it to he did it once it goes from person to person to person. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's definitely a, a good time to be a serial killer if all of a sudden you find out there's a grave robber next door and you're like, I think the heat's off. Yeah, somebody's <laughs> creepier than me. Exactly. Um, I, I, one more question for Harold about, like, just obviously conjecture. Eric, too, please chime in on this because now you're in the Ed Gein world. You're now in this shit, too. You've, been, you've experienced all of this. He's drawn his penis. <laughs> what do you think would have happened if he wasn't caught like do you think that like he would have just continued on in his little world or do you think that he would have really had to go and search for bodies because i do that is interesting the idea of he is just a practical quote-unquote practical killer where it's just about art supplies uh, I, I think he would have. Uh, I think it would have escalated. I think he would have killed more people. I, I think he was very comfortable with the fact that he killed uh, uh, Mary Hogan in the tavern and got away with it so much that he told everyone that she was at his house. And uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, you yeah. Know, yeah, she's I, at my house right now. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think if if that had happened with Bernice Warden, then. Uh, he would have been more emboldened to to find other victims when he couldn't find a fresh grave. Hmm. Well, he wasn't a clever criminal. No, like, he's he, not, not like at a, all. He's not a powerful kind of predator type, like a Ted Bundy or somebody like even John Wayne Gacy. Their new Peacock documentary actually really focuses in how mm -hmm. much of a predator he was. Um, and he, Ed Gein was just kind of dumb. Yeah, Harold, yeah. what do you think? What would have happened to Ed, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't see him, you know, all of a sudden stopping uh, his necrophiliac activities and possibly, again, when he ran out of available corpses, killing other women. Although, uh, you know, it's hard to know how many uh, middle-aged, stout women in the community who reminded of his mother there were. It was Wisconsin. Uh, <laughs> it was going to be just fine. And I say that with yeah. all the love in the world. But doesn't that then, because, Harold, you said he wasn't a serial killer, but you then, but now, oh, I gotcha. But now you're saying he may have continued on killing if he wasn't caught. So then what's, why not just call him a serial killer if, if you think Again, he would have continued I, on? I, I, you know, I'm kind of a purist when it comes to the term serial killer in the sense yeah. that he's um, a he's a loose more type of guy. OK, <laughs> I'm sorry. Exactly. So you still like Mindhunter and stuff, right? Um, you know, all those, uh, you know, FBI profilers who were trying to get a, a picture of the psychology of these people. You know, they were talking to Ed, Edmund Kemper and people like that. In other words, the phrase was specifically used for these compulsive sex murderers who got their, you know, ecstatic orgasmic pleasure uh, from torture, overpowering and torturing these helpless victims. You know, that was not Gein. In other words, what I'm saying is like, to me, it's not just like a quantitative thing. Sure. Uh, you know, it's like, 
contract killers are and serial killers. Mm. I mean, they kill a bunch of people. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, it's a job. You know, that's, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's why I don't, in that sense, I don't regard Keen as a serial killer. Interesting. Live from your grave. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. How many platforms do I work on? So many platforms. Can you believe it? Google Docs. Work on that. Very complicated. Lots of different things going out. Clickety-clack, right? Slack. Saying things to my employees. All my, all my, my main doldgers walking around here. It makes sure it changes cluck to the word I meant for it to say to everyone. But I try to say not curse words on Slack. What am I supposed to do about it? But Grammarly doesn't fix curse words, does it? Because Grammarly's too good for it. It's too classy. It's Grammarly is an AI writing partner that helps you get work done faster with high quality writing. Because better writing means a stronger impact. The pen is mightier than the sword. Except when the sword is in the room. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing and suggestions based on your audience goals and context. Can you believe it? And data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly. It's in its goods. All right. So Grammarly's great. Use it. I use it. I love its gentle harassment of my writing style because it does help me because sometimes my thumbs are faster than my eyeballs. Don't quote me on that. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hi, did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. 
and fast-growing trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. Now I don't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Now, that actually, I, w- I was wondering about that because I actually don't remember from our research, our research, Edgeen's crimes did have sort of a sexual nature or did, did he not brought to orgasm by his stuff or was it really just him moving through this ritualistic behavior? Yeah, there, it's a moment of contention. There's a tiny bit of contention about that. Hmm. Well, I'll, I'll let Eric answer in a minute, but my own. So the way I think about it, you know, in my book, I have a deviant I have a chapter on necrophiles, famous necrophiles. Uh, and there are a couple of very famous French necrophiles, including this guy who's known as Sergeant Bertrand. Uh, and he would dig up the corpses of these, uh, you know, uh, young women uh, and have sex with them, you know, which is classic necrophilia. Classic. I think of that classic. as a vintage. Very, yes. <laughs> I are think they still? Of that as a, yeah. Now, I think of that as a very American necrophile. In other words, he wasn't, you know, like Bertrand was like Pepe Le Pew or something. Of the necrophile. <laughs> um, you know, Ed basically would, you know, take these corpses home and, and do home improvement projects with them. <laughs> you know, I mean, he wasn't so much interested in having sex with them. Uh, you know, whether he might have attempted, I mean, he claimed, uh, that he didn't have sex with them because they quote unquote smelled too bad. Oh, um, you know, which suggested he might, the thought might have crossed his mind. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Maybe a little axe body spray would have changed the whole mood. <laughs> I mean, but, it's, yeah. I mean, serious question it is, was he an emotional necrophile? Like where people have physical affairs and emotional affairs, like was, was it necrophilia for him a, a purely emotional thing? You know, digging up female corpses, bringing them home, putting them in your bed. I mean, there is an erotic element to it, mm-hmm. no doubt. Um, but my feeling is, and, and again, who knows, um, that it might never have gotten to the point where he was actually trying to consummate the relationship with the corpses. <laughs> so. L- lucky guy. Eric, When it, and this is a really going to be a hard-hitting question. When it comes to drawing an orgasm face... <laughs> How do you do that? How do you capture the, like, the uncomfortability mixed with the exaltation mixed with the, like, oh, no. Oh, Mary does. It's, it's not an easy task. And on top of that, you tried drawing an orgasmic face wearing a skin mask. I mean, so, I just would um, put, I'd go and get some ham at the store. I'd set up a mirror and I'd just kind of pace it around and just go, oh, oh. Try to make vulnerable noises. Yeah, I, I think I, I disagree with Harold on this one, though, that I, I believe that he he was a straight up necrophile just based mm-hmm. on uh, the uh, the way that he lied uh, when he was being questioned. It, like I said, it was is very childlike 
and evasive and, and strategically evasive. And if you go through and, and read his, uh, uh, some of his questioning where he says like, you know, they, they keep hounding him about some of these topics and he goes, well, I, I did try, but I wasn't successful. And then the questioner is like, are you saying you didn't reach orgasm? And he's like, oh yeah, that's it. I didn't reach orgasm. And then, right. uh, and then he, and oh, then he yeah, adds, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he voluntarily adds, uh, you know, when they ask him about uh, Mary Hogan, he says, uh, uh, they said, so did you try with Mary Hogan? He's like, no, I never did that. That I can remember. You know, oh, basically he may have gotten too many PBRs going with yeah. the old Dahmer defense. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, my my opinion, and and this is kind of the the way we went in the book, was that, you know, just from his evasiveness and, and the, the way he answered the questions, I personally come to the conclusion that that he uh was uh straight up using these uh bodies for sex but again like carol said who's who's to know again you know this is i want to ask this question as a general question to the group about serial killer confessions because i think that that's a thing it comes it's a theme in last podcast on the left and we've been talking about it for years just interpersonally the idea of why do some serial killers make shit up to fuck with people like technically we could say that Ted Bundy's after career, his post prison uh, time was a lot of him spinning yarns. Same thing with Henry Lee Lucas. Yeah. Um, right. He's a confession killer. He basically said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I killed all of them. I did all of this horrible shit. But then why are there some serial killers like uh, I'm just going to use, I'm just going to say Ed Gein, but I know he's li- uh, for today he's not, but like Ed Gein <laughs> or like other people that are ashamed to say, their most dark secrets like that. There's something about that where like, I do feel like there's something about the relationship with him, with Ed Gein and to the, to the dead body that he almost felt like it's a kiss and tell scenario and he doesn't want to do it. And they're not going to tell. That's the best Mm. part. I I mean, for him. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, my answer, partial answer is that, um, excuse me, as I'm sure you know, I mean, it's characteristic of a lot of serial killers that they have this megalomania, um, which, you know, I think it's a reaction against having been made to feel like shit when they were growing up, Mm -hmm. you know, so they, you know, part of the whole, you know, part of the whole satisfaction they get from the crime, you know, is a sense of this power they wield. Uh, It's one of the reasons they taunt the police and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, I think that bragging about, you know, the number of people they killed and what amazing, you know, world-class killers they are and how they've outwitted law enforcement for so long, you know, is part of the gratification of the crimes. Um, And then, you know, when you were talking before about uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, I mean, one of the things that to me has always made him if not totally sympathetic, but again, not as irredeemably evil as somebody like Ted Bundy, you know, is that when he was captured, he he did seem to feel genuine remorse. Uh, And, you know, I think he he effectively committed suicide um, because, you know, he asked not to be put in isolation in prison. He knew he was going to be killed. Uh, so he was caught in a cycle that he couldn't understand. He couldn't get out of. And then he just kept going and going. It seemed to be a relief that when he was caught. 
Yes, well, exactly. Well, so. building off that question, you know, it's, is Ed Gein a psychopath? Well, I mean, supposedly, you know, he was psychotic, not mm -hmm. a psychopath, um, according to the shrinks who, you know, who examined him. Uh, you know, he was having these various hallucinations, visual hallucinations, auditory hallucinations, uh, olfactory hallucinations. Do you so, think that's real and not a story that he was telling? Do you think he was really seeing these things? I think there was some element of that. Yeah, I do think he was probably, you know, again, his, uh, you know, with Psycho, everybody came to believe that schizophrenia meant, you know, you have a double personality, but you know, schizophrenia means you have a shattered personality. Right. Uh, and, you know, I think partly it was that shattering of, the, of Ed Gein's psyche that allowed all that primordial, weird religious stuff, you know, ritualistic stuff to emerge and take over. So, well, I mean, you know, my... yeah, you bring up Psycho, Harold, and I want to talk with Eric here because uh, in this uh, article that I'm reading, uh, you talk about, you know, every kid who grew up in the 80s uh, told stories about the 1950s ghoul, but it seems like the 1950s ghoul is still talked about today. We have stories like the right. Luca Magnata. We hear about horrible atrocities happening all the time. Uh, we do a show called Side Stories every week. People are getting dug up, and <laughs> God knows what happens to everyone. They're, they're having sex with stuffed animals, some of these people. Yeah. <laughs> but do you ever think we're going to get into the lore that we have around the 1950s, around the 1960s, that era of true crime uh, nostalgia, the mystique around it? Do you think we're ever going to see anything like that again? Uh, I'm not sure. It's it's like World War II, you know, that how many movies are going to have about World War II? It's just a, a moment in time that is so uh, just fascinating. What think, but what do you think makes that time period endlessly fascinating? The fact that there were no cameras, it seems like a totally different world, but yeah. it's still recent enough to be like, dang, dude, like he still has a grandson alive, perhaps. Obviously, Fucking... Ed Gein didn't procreate, but theoretically. Yeah. Ed Gein is just one of those fairy tale monsters to me that was just exactly. kind of also singular. He was singular because there was no true crime. Like there was Pulp Fiction, but there was no like full on like serial killer books like we have now. It feels like I must maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but it feels like he had no sense of reference to say like, yeah, I should start making pussy chains. Like, oh, oh yeah, this is so... Oh, oh, no, I definitely I mean, need to do this. He did. Well, I mean, his point of reference yeah. were the concentration camps and the the things oh, that were yeah. supposedly Jeez. the things that were supposedly happening in the like you know Elsa Coke and you know those uh, types of people that were supposedly making lampshades and soap out of uh, human skin. It is that boogeyman kind of thing that keeps going from generation to generation, like. Well, in the article you mentioned, uh, when I was a kid, it was it wasn't Psycho; it was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, everyone yes. went around and said, "Did you you know that's based on a real guy?" Dude, they told me that's it was a documentary. A I believed it the first time I watched it. I was like, "This uh, is filmed live." <laughs> so it was like we all knew when I was a kid. We all knew who Ed Gein was because of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I guess if I could compare it to something, it's like the Universal monsters, right? Like wolfman like it's all like they they have all the monsters all the monsters have been created and ed Gein is one of those true crime universal monsters and i just wonder if um what that fraternity of weirdos what that looks like 20 years from now if there's maybe there's an ed Gein happening right now that will <laughs> be talking about. if they're listen if you're an ed Gein, if you're Email side stories, LPOTL at gmail.com. I want to know. I want to see your collection. Do not contact us. Uh, well, I mean, one of the things about Gein, 
again, is that his crimes, you know, there's this image of the 50s, which to some extent is true, like all stereotypes. Uh, you know, this being very bland, kind of happy days, leave it to Beaver, Eisenhower era. You know, and here in the midst of it, uh, in, you know, small town USA, you know, there are all these unspeakable, incomprehensible horrors taking place uh, inside this, again, middle American farmhouse. Um, you know, they, it does seem like a real life fairy tale. You know, it's like, you know, I always tell people in every yes, it seems like a real town, life fairy tale, Harold. That is, it is not a fairy tale. Have Maybe you read it's... fairy tales? A fairy tale, I'll tell you, you know, fairy tales Hansel and Gretel. Are, I know. Yeah. Well, let's say folktale, you know, like in every small town. And even when I was growing up in the Bronx in my apartment building, you know, there's always, you know, all the kids are always telling tales it's like Boo Radley, you know, in in, uh, in To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. You know, there's always one creepy house. Again, yeah. in my case, one creepy apartment, you know, where some yeah. cannibalist, you know, old hag lives or some creep. And, you know, in Gein's case, it turned out to be true. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, it's yeah. like this universal folk story, and it turned out to be true. And so if, that's part of the fascination. And uh. if there's one, I really do feel like if there's one... There has to be more. There has to have <laughs> well, been more Ed Geins that didn't get caught. I really I'm do sure. believe that you will no, bust into it's... somebody's house that is foreclosed somewhere in this yeah. country and you will find the same weird collection. Well, well, I mean, I think what's really interesting about the, that time period in that area of the country is that, you know, I, I think it was, you, Harold, you did go through it in Deviant, is just how many, like, they blamed more murders on Ed Gein because so many murders were happening in this weird small area of Wisconsin. And also, like, yeah, yeah. It, it, at this time period, uh, Charles Starkweather and Carol Ann Fugit's killing spree was, what, two years before, yeah. a year before, yeah. something like that? Like, the Midwest was wildly violent. And in this time well, period, even when I went out to uh, to that area to do my research, I was told that that area of Wisconsin had a higher per capita murder rate than New York City did. Um, Jesus, you know, that was people... right by my hometown. Yeah. I didn't kill anyone, though. <laughs> he didn't. So, yeah. nope. anyway, yeah. Uh, you know, the other thing about the 50s, uh, by the way, um, which goes back to my childhood. I'm like way older, obviously, than you guys. Uh, you know, it, there I don't was see something. It. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It's the gold lame. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was, uh, people don't realize, I mean, po American pop culture was pervaded with horror stuff. I mean, I grew up, there was all this incredible horror stuff. You know, there were the EC horror comics. Yeah. There were all those, you know, that was the time when those universal monsters are first being shown on TV. There were all these like Friday night creature feature shows, you know, yeah. and you'd go to the Saturday matinee, which back then cost a quarter. Um, and, you know, oh, you'd tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you'd see double feature of all these, you know, Roger Corman horror movies and The Incredible Shrinking Man and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, there was a lot of horror stuff in the in the 50s. Uh, and again, um, all this emerging uh, imagery of the death camps, uh, which had so much influence on Gein's crime. So, you know, there was really a dark underside to the 50s. You know, I think that's one of the things that Psycho taps into is this kind of duality. 
of that period. It seemed to be the shock and the PTSD from World War II. And no one really wanted to maybe talk about the fact that the entire world was in a, embroiled in a conflict that ended with an atomic bomb being dropped on a bunch of people. You know, yeah. it ended with fucking hundreds of thousands of people melting. So I think yeah. on some level, like you legitimately, the entire world went through bullshit. And then we went through an economic boom. So in America, it was like, yeah, everybody go out and buy microwaves. We just made them. Mm -hmm. uh, don't want to talk about where they came from, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Go buy them, you know, all this kind of shit. But you like, Maytag. So it's these two like levels where it's yeah. economic prosperity mixed with a bunch of people who just like were d killing people from the time right. they were 18 years right. old. Yep. Yep. I only have one small uh, modification to make about your statement. Please. Uh, they didn't. They didn't have microwaves back then. Fuck. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you Ben Schechter. Ken Henry's Ben Schechter. Um, I actually am really surprised we haven't seen more modern Ed Gaines, especially during quarantine. Hmm. Well, I come. don't Maybe know. We've come seen out. some TikTok videos. <laughs> We've seen some TikTok videos that this are borderline. Is, this is some prime grave yeah. robbing time. Absolutely. <laughs> Again, thank you guys so much for being with us. Harold Schechter, Eric Powell, uh, authors of Did You Hear What Eddie Gein Done? My last question is uh, for both of you, um, Eric working with a more traditional author and, uh, and Harold being more of a traditional author working in more of the graphic novel phase. Uh, we can start with Harold. What was that experience like? Was it different uh, for you than writing a full novel? And uh, what was that experience? Yeah, it was great because Eric did most of the work. Um, <laughs> That's what we're no. discovering as co comic book writers. And you're yeah. like, you're writing, and you're like, well, hope you know how to decipher that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, it was uh, from my point of view uh, an ideal collaboration. So. Yeah, um, I had never worked on a nonfiction book before, so that that was quite a a leap for me. And and I found out how easy it was to fall down a rabbit hole and try to like you know chase one little bit of information until you've you know and sometimes to the point where it's like i had to stop myself this will never be in the book you know mm, right yeah um but it was it was amazing working with harold it's like i uh I, it's an experience i'll never be able to recreate i'm sure because i i had the opportunity to work with one of my favorite authors mm. and if you've ever read a book and 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 finished it and was like, ah, oh, I'd love to ask that guy about this. Yeah. You know, I got to do that every day. Yeah. And it was awesome. That's awesome. You know, now, yeah. now you can so, call him all night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's the best part. You really? have his number now. Yeah. You can call what him and of, call him. And yeah. What kind of stitch do you think he used? <laughs> yeah, <faces>? exactly. <laughs> and then he'll be like, um, did you know in the 1950s they didn't have microwaves? You'd be like, we know. God. <laughs> <laughs> Well, awesome. Um, uh, anything else, guys? I just Harold. What you said? You've been reading comic books forever. What What are your What are your, some of your favorites? Uh, well, it's a little bit of a painful <laughs> subject for me. Oh, because I had a I had to sell my uh, uh, first mint condition uh, 50, fifty issues of Spider Man mint condition to pay for my first divorce. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. goodness! Oh God! I just oh, no. I oh, feel that in my nervous no. system. <laughs> Yeah. Jesus Christ. But, um, yeah, no, I was actually an aspiring comic book artist myself. I actually applied for a job at Marvel Comics. I still have my rejection letter from Stan Lee's secretary. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I loved Steve Ditko. I have to say Steve Ditko is probably my favorite artist. Nice. I love Joe Kubert. I always love Sergeant Rock and Easy Company. Uh, I love Gil Kane's Green Lantern. Uh, Jack Kirby, of course. Uh, as Eric knows, I, I actually um, uh, bought, I had until recently, an original Jack Kirby Fantastic Four page, Ooh. which... Um, I ended up auctioning off when I discovered how much it was worth, and I was too nervous to have it around my house. Did that take <laughs> the second divorce? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to so, save um, some of this for the second divorce, Harold. Honestly, I'm yeah. looking out for you, man. <laughs> so, yeah, I keep telling myself if I hadn't gotten divorced, you know, I wouldn't have had my children. I'd still have my comic book collection. And, you know, mm. sometimes I'm not sure which one. Well, anyway. Uh, <laughs> and I suppose, Eric, same question for you. Um, I'm, I'm so busy right now that I, I kind of live in a cave when it comes to what's what's on the shelves. It, there's so much amazing stuff being done right now. We're yeah. really going through like a golden, another golden age of comics. And there's so much Dude. unique original material out there, not just the Marvel and DC stuff. There's uh, so many awesome creators out there doing their own thing. It's kind of impossible to keep up with it, but I follow creators and I tend to buy whatever they do. Jeff Smith is a guy that I, I buy everything he does. Yep. Awesome. Um, you know? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm such a big fan of your work. Like I still like anytime we, uh, and, and the way you approach everything, too, like anytime we've ever gotten nominated for anything, I always think of Peach's Valentine. <laughs> like, <laughs> when you got nominated for an Eisner, that actually that that stuck in my that is stuck in my head for decades of just and like I, the Yeah, I think that's why I don't get nominated for Eisner's anymore. Well, it's uh, to, to, to tell the uh, I guess to tell the page is that when Eric got nominated for an Eisner Award for the Goon, which the Eisner Award is the Oscars of comic yeah, books, yeah, it's a big yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah, no, he he drew a, a character called Peaches Valentine, which is a, a man with a diaper full of shit, and he shit full, and he filled the diaper up with shit, and then reached into the diaper and rubbed it all over his head and helped sign that says Eisner Award nominee. Wow, that's <laughs> great. Was, yeah, man, was, that, and that was not a knock on the Eisners; it was a knock no. on myself because of this, yeah. I, I literally had a character in the book that played in his own shit and got nominated for the greatest award in comics. So yeah, it was awesome. more making fun of myself. But again, you know. Yeah. God, no, oh, it's, yeah. that was that that was that <laughs> stuck with that is stuck with me till to this day. It I, helps. I think, yeah, it really does help. Awesome. Uh, Henry, guys. Anything else? No, man, I'm just so happy to talk to you guys. I, the, I'm, you know, Harold, you you are you birthed us how does yeah. that feel yeah. you did it how does that make you feel yeah no thank i love talking to you guys and by the way i gotta thank you guys for turning me on to wolfenstein Hell oh yes. yeah bro <laughs> the game is so dope yeah. awesome yeah. the name of the book is did you hear what eddie Gein done harold Schechter, and eric powell it was awesome thank you guys so yeah. much thank you thank guys you so guys. much for having us so good to pick you guys' brain Round of applause for all of us for the best interview we've ever done. So humble. I, me, it's sometimes though, while it's good to remain humble, you also have to celebrate yourself. 
a little bit. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this special episode of Blast Podcast on the left. We hope you enjoyed it. And again, we love driving as much traffic as possible to move books for authors. And you guys are so great at helping authors survive in a world that's not freaking easy because believe it or not, writing isn't exactly a get rich game. So thank you all so much for supporting these guys. Again, the name of the book, Did You Hear What Eddie Gein Done? Marcus, one thing you learned... One thing that I learned, I learned that uh, things are not always what they seem, but (laughs) they can sometimes be what you think and also what you believe. Uh, And at the same time, being something that you don't really think, but also it's not what it seems Mm -hmm. always. That's why I don't date. That is fantastic. Wrapped it up. (laughs) Harold Schechter, I learned, has tawny brown beautiful nipples. Yes, he does. <laughs> okay, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Hail yourselves. So get, we got live tickets. Go to lastpodcastontheleft.com. Get your live tickets. We are on two. We're going to be out there. We have our comic book with DC coming out on October yeah. 5th. And if you go to lastpodcastmerch.com, you can buy our new coffee line. I know so. I saw the comment saying we've become the kiss of podcasts, but I want you to understand Ooh, that this need- is actually, Springhill Jack is a small little company, so all of this just kind of it helps them too. It's like it, it's a really cool opportunity, and the coffee's delicious. It's helping other people realize their dreams. So Absolutely. please support small business people. We're not fucking yeah. We're not doing Amazon brand coffee and then slapping our name on it. This is a small businessman that is uh, realizing a dream of his own, and uh, I would like they everybody out there to support fuck. him as well. That they, they work so fucking hard there, and it's great. The coffee, and and the product's delicious. Coffee. It's so good. And never forget, God gave rock and roll to us. God gave rock and roll to everyone. God gave rock and roll <laughs> to you. I will cry listening to that song. I All have. right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Oh, uh, well, you know what? Yeah, I guess hell game. I, 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 I guess I guess sure. game today. And also, if you want to get this book, try to buy it at your, it at your local comic book store. Please. Yes. Please. Yes. Support your local Please. comic book stores. And when our book comes out, also buy it at your local comic book store. Support local request comic it. book stores. Always. Absolutely. Go request it, because then that helps them, because the, the, those are the people that need it. Amazon doesn't need it. Hail uh, me, motherfuckers. Magustalations, everyone. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. This is Comedy Bang Bang, the podcast, the promo, and in 30 seconds, I'm going to tell you why you should check out the show. I, the host, Scott Augerman, have a lighthearted conversation with famous celebrities like John Hamm, Allison Williams, Phoebe Bridgers, Bob Odenkirk, just to name a few. Things go a little off the rails when different eccentric characters drop by to be interviewed as well. Each week is a blend of conversations and character work from your favorite comedians as well as some new hilarious voices. Comedy Bang Bang, the podcast. Listen every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.